This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Deborah Holyfield as she discusses how to build your congregation's pro-life confidence. Deborah Holyfield is the Executive Director of Presbyterians Protecting Life. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2021 General Assembly. Let's listen as Deborah Holyfield talks about building your church's pro-life confidence. So Presbyterians Protecting Life was started 40 years ago by uh, people in the PCUSA who were attempting to educate commissioners to testify and write overtures and vote on things they were completely uninformed about when Roe versus Wade was first passed. Um, we did our best for 30 years with that uh, denomination, and then as it began to fracture, especially about 10 years ago, we began serving all Presbyterian and Reformed denominations. So as far as I know, PPL is the only uh, organization that is working across denominational lines within Presbyterian and Reformed bodies. Uh, that usually don't speak to each other much and sometimes don't think much of each other. Uh, we have seven denominations uh, represented on our board. This is a picture that hangs on my office wall. Uh, for purposes of the recording, there is a miner on the side of a mountain on a narrow trail with a pack horse behind him, and he's facing a mother bear with cubs behind her. Um, you can look at this in various ways. Sometimes I look at it as the story of my life. Uh, sometimes I'm the bear. Sometimes I'm the miner. Sometimes I'm the pack horse. You know, you just never know. But it's a very useful picture. And for purposes of this conversation about pro-life matters, um, that's kind of how pastors approach some of these hot-button issues in their congregations. Uh, if the pastor is the miner, uh, the bear, mother bear is the issue. Um, you it's going to come after you or you're going to have to approach it. Either way, you can't escape the conversation. Um, the bears behind her, the baby bears, that's kind of the collateral damage. When you engage the mother, you kind of have to think about how that's going to affect uh, people around her. Uh, for example, when you're talking about abortion in your congregation, you have to take into account that one in four women has had one. 70% of them self-identify as Christian, and 40% of them went to church the month they had their abortion. So they also have men involved. Uh, they have grandparents. Um, 
uh, parents of these mothers who know uh, or don't know either way about their daughter's situations and different times in their lives. Um, and then you got the rest of the congregation. I see that as the pack horse, and it's either going to stay with the miner and stay safe, or it's going to drag that miner right over the cliff. So, you know, it's kind of a, a conundrum for pastors on how they're going to approach these things. But our mission statement is that PPL is compelled by the gospel. Everything we do and publish and uh, encourage congregations to do comes from a gospel-centered place. Um, it is biblically bound. It is biblically undergirded. We are directed exclusively at Presbyterians. That's really narrow, but we are really small. Um, Presbyterians are sort of a small denomination as well, even if you not, uh, put them all together. But we are peculiar in that we have this Reformed worldview uh, that is not necessarily shared by other denominations. It's not that other denominations are not pro-life um, or that we are somehow unique, but we come at the pro-life issues from the point of, again, biblical integrity and the infallibility um, of God's judgments, uh, the image of God, God's sovereignty, um, and systematic theology that we are all dependent on one another. We champion human life at every stage. Um, I'll get into that a little more deeply in a moment. Um, this is just a quick picture of our board. You can see we only have one head. We have no horns. We are a safe organization. We have eight ministers, two doctors, a pediatrician, a psychiatrist, an attorney, a university administrator. Three of our members have served in the mission field for most of their lives. Three of them uh, have served on the board for more than 20 years each. Uh, our current president, uh, his father, founded the board. And um, our last executive director uh, was with us for 14 years. So we have a lot of long-term investment in what we do. And if you do this for 14 years, if you do this for seven years, if you do it for 20 years, you internalize a lot and you can have good conversations. And that's kind of what we're asking churches to do, is to internalize what we know about life and what God says about life so that we can have conversations without notes. Um, so the elephant in the room is Roe versus Wade. Uh, what are we going to do if it's overturned? And what if it's not overturned? And I'm here to give you my opinion that it really doesn't matter. It would be great to have uh, pro-life laws across the nation. I don't know that we are going to be anywhere near that. You have to think for a second about how the Supreme Court works. One is there is no enforcement arm. There is nothing that the Supreme Court does that they can make you do um, unless a legislature acts. Sometimes legislatures will follow the Supreme Court rulings and sometimes they won't. So relying on the court to solve the problem is not going to solve our issues. The way I see it is this is the leaky pipe in the church basement. And if what happens at your church is the same thing as what happens at my church, is some property elder is going to go down there with a bucket and stick it under the leak, and then he's going to go tell the church how much it's going to cost to fix it, and the session's going to go, and eh, let's put it in next year's budget. You keep go down and, going down there and emptying that bucket. Well, he might, uh, and he might forget about it. But the thing is, is you're going to go down for the Christmas decorations, and he's forgotten, and they're all soaked, and now it's going to cost you $40,000 to drain the basement, fix the pipe, and buy new decorations. And that's kind of how the church has approached the pro-life issues. Um, there is a tsunami of pregnant women out there. That is a, 
something that the organization CareNet uh, repeats over and over again, is that those pregnant women are out there right now. They need the church right now and everything that the church does and can do right now. If Roe versus Wade is overturned, the only thing that's happened is we have removed one of their perceived options and the, the church is gonna be a legitimate resource for them. We're not gonna be ready. Well, we're not ready now. Um, so the time to act is now. One of the things that hinders a pastor is um, an accession is not knowing how many people are affected. Um, I run into a lot of pastors that say this is not our issue. Um, or we do, um, oh, I don't know, we support the Crisis Pregnancy Center, which is a good thing. I don't imagine to tell you that it's not. Um, but one in four women have had an abortion by the age of 45. That's a lot of women. 70% um, self-identify as Christians. 43% attended church the month before they had their abortion. 59% of women seeking an abortion have already had children. There may be 50 million post-abortive women, and then you have the men, and then you have their parents, uh, grandparents, other relatives. Then you have women over 60. Sometimes a nice lady will come by my booth and you know, kind of pat my hand and say, we're so grateful for what you do, but we don't have any young women in our church, so it's kind of not our issue. But women over 60 were in their 20s in the 70s when Roe versus Wade was first uh, ruled on, and the first ones to be lied to. First ones to be told it was a clump of cells. And here we are 50 years later. We've seen the ultrasounds of our own grandchildren. We know it's not true. Um, may have been married to the same man 40, 50 years. Uh, never told him. That's a big secret in a marriage. Um, and now there is a lot of guilt that are carried by women this age. Um, they may have worked for Planned Parenthood, you know, and lobbied for them, uh, marched for them. Who knows? But they need to be able to process um, the feelings that they have, but it is not something that that can be easily done publicly. Um, they are the most in need of a confidential group to process that and to receive the grace and mercy of God through God's people. I mean, you receive it, of course, directly from Jesus, but the hands and feet of Jesus are in your congregation for them. So the things that keep a congregation from being actively pro-life are things that we don't always think of. For example, a lot of denominations have position papers. This denomination has a pro-life position paper. Um, what that does is give you a North Star. Uh, it tells you what the ethos of a, of a denomination is. It is a bit of a litmus test for the pastors that are called into the denomination. Um, gives the uh, leadership confidence that their pastors are pro-life. Um, and so it kind of leaves you feeling complacent. Uh, I don't have to convince anybody that's in my church um, that, and, and this is, you, you also run into the, you know, this is kind of a worldly problem, you know, and we're about our families and, and we're raising up good Christians and, and, you know, it's a little bit of a, a bubble situation. The denomination has no pro-life ministry or mission for churches to use as a resource. This is something that we ran into since the split from the PCUSA. Um, Independence in churches is a good thing, but then again, there is, as you're experiencing this week, a great value in having uh, denominational leadership um, and mission partners. Um, if there is no official denominational mission partner for issues of life, pastors are all on their own. Uh, every pastor is expected to be an expert uh, or flip it to a deer in the headlights mission elder 
um, or church education elder who just kind of doesn't want to go there because it's maybe too political. Um, and so if a denomination discourages partnerships with uh, parachurch organizations, every congregation is on its own. Um, and it, you know, you can, how long can you sit behind your computer and search for the statistics? How long can you search for um, the methods that are most effective in those things? Because you not only have to be able to speak from your own place of confidence, but you have to be able to translate that to your congregants. Um, and they don't always want to hear it. The pastor doesn't preach on life sometimes because he's not an expert. He has no time to learn. And he doesn't want to create an emotional crisis in that this church staff is not equipped to address. That's a big win. Because, again, all those people in your church that are affected by abortion, um, somebody's going to cry when you preach, if you preach specifically about abortion. Um, people will notice that she's crying. Um, a man might get red-faced and get up and walk out. Um, and your staff, you know, and then you have this, this fallout you know, for the next few weeks. Um, your staff needs to know ahead of time what the possible reactions might be. You need to preach sensitively. You know, there's the, the cubs behind that mama bear. Um, and so it's really, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to preach on some of these issues. Um, and PPL is here to help you maybe not have to experience it as such a big deal. Uh, the elders might think it's too political. They worry about it, again, agitating the congregation. We left that problem behind when we left the PCUSA. Some denominations, uh, especially the ones that are younger than yours, uh, those pastors, God bless them, still have PTSD. And they just do not want to go back to the issues that drove them out. Uh, or led them out, um, or that created the kind of anxiety within the congregation that they experienced before they left. Um, and it's just easier to let that lie. Um, the pastor, elders, and deacons think that mission is enough. Mission's really good, and I'm going to talk a lot about mission. But it's not exactly equipping your congregation. It's keeping them aware. But you know, unless you live under a rock, you're probably already aware that it's an issue. Um, again, they may be aware that the PCA is a pro-life denomination. Um, one of the papers we have on the back table that uh, Dr. Faust brought with her uh, is a Pew Research report that says the PCA has 54% of the people in the pews who believe that abortion should remain legal in all circumstances. This is your pro-life denomination. This is where all your pastors are pro-life. So something is not connecting. Um, so when I say that the congregation is not being equipped because you're doing something, you may, go, you may go in March. That's a good thing. You might do a baby bottle drive. That's a good thing. You might sponsor the pro-life uh, uh, pregnancy center banquet every year. It's a good thing. It keeps the issue in front of your congregation, but it doesn't help them when they feel bad because their friend's daughter is pregnant at 15 or 12. Um, it doesn't help them have that conversation and make those decisions when their honorable daughter who's got an admission to a first-rate university um, and has a life plan all charted out for her uh, finds herself pregnant in August and school starts in two weeks. Those are the kinds of things we need to equip our people to deal with. Um, the pastor and elders think abortion is the only pro-life issue. 
That is another thing that PPL advocates, is that what God thinks about life at any point on that developmental spectrum is true at every point. And that is one of the ways that you can save yourselves uh, when you have to preach about these things. The denomination, pastor, elders, <laughs> I think that everybody in their church is already and unanimously pro-life. We touched on that. Uh, it's not a problem for us like it is for those progressives or those fundamentalists or those apostates and all those other denominations. So our goal is to faithfully preach the whole counsel of God to equip the saints to understand the image of God and God's view of human life at every stage of development. Um, you can only do that by uh, being aware yourselves as you preach through scripture. The, you will hear often that the Bible doesn't mention abortion. Uh, the people who say that have never read the Bible. Of course, you start with, you know, no kill, right? Um, but then you have the attributes of God which is what we fall back on every time that we have something awful that we cannot explain, uh, something evil that happens in the world. Why is this happening? Did God cause it? If you know the attributes of God, you know that's not true. You know that God's not the author of evil, that God is uh, the husband to the, father, to, the, to the widow and the father to the fatherless. You know that God lifts up women. Uh, God cares for women. God, um, his goal is marriage and children. Um, Again, it's, it's present in every book, not just Song of Songs. Um, that, is, that can be really hard, especially for kids to understand and teenagers. Song of Solomon is just dense. It's beautiful, but it's not you're straight on to the topic of how God feels about life. Um, you've got the call stories. You've got the national destiny call stories of Jacob and Esau. Um, you've got the personal call stories of Jesus and John the Baptist and Paul, all called from their womb, Jeremiah. Um, you've got the language of Scripture, the relationship between God and God's people uh, is always throughout the whole Bible referred to in terms and language of love and pursuit and romance and sexuality, faithfulness, adultery, prostitution, um, with, again, with the ultimate goal of marriage and children. So there's lots of ways that you can touch on life issues as you preach through scripture. Um, again, with the goal of equipping the saints to be able to speak, to bring people to repentance and healing and action, and to expand and advance the kingdom. Because you need to be born before you can hear the gospel. One of those important pieces. So what can we do? You can open the conversation anywhere on the spectrum. So PPL offers information and resources on fertility, reproductive technology, pregnancy, miscarriage, perinatal hospice. You may not have heard of that. If a woman is expecting uh, to deliver a stillborn child or a child with a birth anomaly where the child will only live uh, an hour or two, a day or two, there are hospice programs for pregnant women in that situation. Uh, of course, abortion, birth anomalies when you're gonna have a special needs child, Adoption, snowflake adoption is the embryo donation after an IVF process uh, has extra eggs and you can adopt those embryos and give birth to them. There is a woman here who testified yesterday to me in my booth uh, about her 11-year-old son who was adopted through a snowflake adoption. Um, suicide, assisted suicide and euthanasia and all the end of life issues. Those are the things that you can use to open the conversation. And by that I mean, um, if you think your congregation is not at a place where they can have a low-key 
not unemotional, but not highly charged conversation about abortion. You can start at your, your great aunt Alice who has dementia and we can have a Sunday school on, or a little you know, Wednesday night seminar or something about what does the Bible say? Does it say that we should care for her in our homes? Should we warehouse her in a nursing home? Should we euthanize her? Is that kinder? I mean, I've had Christians who have actually said, we euthanize our dogs who are suffering, so why would we let Aunt Alice suffer? So if you need to have that conversation with somebody, and that it was a young person, but still, if you want to have that conversation, it needs to be had. Um, so say you talk about geriatric things in the beginning, and then maybe next quarter you offer a similar class uh, on special needs. Everybody has a, a friend or their own stories of a child with Down syndrome or something. And then maybe uh, next quarter you address suicide. And at some point, your folks are going to realize that that was the same Bible study the first week, and it's the same Bible study the second week, it's the same Bible study the third week. It's just a different topic. Um, but what God says about life on any point in the spectrum is true at every point on the spectrum. And by the time you get to abortion, they will have internalized all of that stuff and they go, oh yeah, this is different. Um, <coughs> it's very helpful, and you probably, if you're an experienced pastor, know this, to gain your session's support for preaching about life issues. Um, your session has responsibility for seeing to it that the congregation and the pastor uh, the pastor preaches and the congregation receives the whole counsel of God. Um, this is part of that. And so if they need to be reminded of that, um, that's what needs to happen. And then if they will run intentional interference, you know, okay, fellas, I'm fixing to preach on this on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Um, I, we need to start introducing this as the time comes, prepare people, not just hit them cold on that Sunday. And we need you out in the congregation telling people what a great idea it is that you live in a church where we trust each other enough to talk about these things and that we have called our pastor to preach about these things and we need to support him when he does that. Um, PPL has a website with has resources and ideas. We have blogs, we have videos, we have referrals and links. <clears throat> we have a life support uh, weekly prayer calendar that you can receive either once a month in a printed format or weekly in an email format. You can sign up for our monthly newsletter. A lot of our articles are on the back table, an example of what comes in our monthly newsletters. There's always an article. There's always two or three links to uh, articles and, and other websites that have information on the topic of the newsletter. Um, and we have a Facebook page that is updated two or three times a day with just um, curated things from around the internet of things that are happening, news stories, things like that. We, you can also call us. You can call us on the phone. Uh, pretend we're the research librarians. And um, if I have pastors call all the time and say, you know, I'm in a conversation with somebody on Facebook and they've said this, and so what is a good response? What are the real statistics, things like that? Sometimes I can answer those in the moment, but sometimes we have to look things up, and we will. I mean, PPL's been around 40 years. We have thrown away more stuff than, than you guys probably have ever written. Uh, Elizabeth Actemeyer um, <clears throat> and her husband were some of the scholars that worked on our stuff. And people don't read like they used to read. Um, so we can give you the capsulized version of many things. Um, <clears throat> 
If you can even put a pro-life article or factoid in your church newsletters, uh, some come out electronically weekly, some of you all still do once a month, um, but just give permission for people to start talking about these things. Um, one of the churches where we uh, had our annual board meeting, our board is, uh, our members are all across the country, and I work out of Dallas, my uh, administrative assistant works out of Pennsylvania. We meet on Zoom every month, but once a year, we pay our own way to someplace central, and we ask a church to host us. Uh, we ask the church to put us up like a mission group in their homes and, and give us a boardroom with AV stuff and then feed us while we're there for just three days. There's only 12 of us. Um, but um, we get together face-to-face, -face, and it's, it's really important that the church know that we're there, and we try to sing for our supper. We'll try to do a Sunday school for you or do a seminar for you while we are there having our meeting, my favorite story is uh, a church in San Antonio. They were PCUSA. I think they're eco now. A big downtown church. Uh, stayed downtown as the downtown transitioned around them into uh, a more low-income area. Um, and when we got there, they didn't tell anybody we were there. I mean, they had a little sign-up that said, you know, PPL's meeting. You know, they're in this room. Leave them alone, basically. Um, they did not put us up in their homes. We had to stay in a hotel nearby. Um, and they did not let us do anything. They didn't let us speak or anything like that because the pastor said he didn't know what the temperature of his congregation was, but we could come use their stuff. It was an interesting situation. So I went back about 18 months later uh, to ask for money, and um, he told me, well, once you were here, the pro-life people in the congregation saw that sign and said, oh, there must be other pro-life people here. It must be okay to talk about that. And they started to find each other. And they formed a little group, and they started to meet together and say, you know, golly, what could we do? Well, they're pretty well connected. It's a wealthy church. And so somebody said, you know, the basement's empty. And, of course, all churches never call it the basement. It's always the lower level. Um, anyway, the lower level's empty. And I know, you know, my brother-in-law's a contractor. And somebody said, well, yeah, and I got, know somebody that's a furniture guy. And um, anyway, they formed this collaboration between local leaders um, and uh, business leaders in their church, and they rehabilitated their basement. Um, it's beautiful and shiny. I've got some pictures at the end if you want to see it. Um, but it, yeah, it's a nice room. It's carpeted. They went and they wrote a grant. They got an ultrasound machine. They hired doctors, or the, I think the doctors volunteer. They hired a social worker. They have um, nurses that are there, you know, off and on different schedules all day long. They're open all the time. They have a low-income and free women's clinic for homeless women and, and low-income women. Then now that they have created this thing, they donate the space, they pay the electric bill, and that's pretty much it. Um, what an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. But anyway, just our mere presence, just giving people permission to talk, and, and stuff takes off on its own. Um, PPL and Churches for Life that I'll talk about here in a moment. We offer uh, visitor, uh, visitors, we offer speakers, uh, workshops, seminars, things like that. We can come and talk to your folks. But we ask you to form a life team. Before I get into life teams, this picture of these three ladies, these are my favorite people. I don't know who they are. Those are internet ladies. Um, but they all go to your church, right? They're all the Bible ladies. And one of those ladies in your church at, you know, whatever age, 
is the person everybody trusts. Maybe she's worked the nursery for 30 years and they've raised you and then they raised your children and now she's, God bless her, raising her grandchildren. She's never been to a worship service, but you know. <laughs> but, but anyway, she exists. And you have that go-to woman in your congregation. Because as I said earlier, all those women who went to church the month before and probably the month of their abortions did not tell the guy with the beard in the pulpit what the problem was. They didn't tell the associate pastor, um, who might be another guy with the beard, or maybe he's 20 years old with blue jeans. I don't know. Um, but they sure didn't tell the women's circle either, because probably their mother's in it. Um, and, you know, it's a sensitive topic. But if you can pick this woman and you can put her on staff, and, you know, we've all been on the staff where we don't pay these people, but we put their pictures in the directory, right? Bring her up front and say, this is our women's resource leader. Um, if you have issues that are troubling you or a crisis in your family, uh, problem pregnancy, even uh, miscarriage, uh, a lot of people don't speak uh, out loud about their miscarriages and they need pastoral care. Um, give her uh, what she needs to know about local resources and things. Equip her a little bit. She doesn't need to be a treating pastoral care person, but she needs to be a conduit. Uh, she needs to be a listening ear, somebody that people trust, somebody that's, you know, honey, I'll hold your hand and let's go talk to this person who can help you, that, that lady. Um, special needs children, uh, domestic violence. Uh, that's a hard thing to escape. I know of a large church, uh, I think it's an eco church too in, in Dallas, I had a friend who was the uh, education interim there, and she told me that you had to, oh, that she wanted to do a domestic violence seminar. It's a very wealthy congregation. Um, they have 25 people on their session, uh, and they're all business people, businessmen mostly, because um, this is an eco-congregation, they ordain women. And, um, Anyway, uh, they didn't want her to put on a domestic violence seminar because doctors and lawyers don't beat their wives. Well, we beg to differ, and she had to go to the community and find the local resource experts to come in and educate the staff and educate the session before they would give her permission to have a seminar on domestic violence in this church. So it's kind of that way with pro-life issues, too. Um, one of the things that does hinder a congregation, I think, is the naivete of Christians. We talk about total depravity, but we don't know what we're talking about. Um, most of us have the blessing of living life with not few challenges, but, but challenges that we meet with God's help. Um, there are a lot of people who don't live that way. And a lot of people just have no clue how low a human being can go. Um, I had one, I had a psychologist tell me one time that in cases of domestic violence, when a woman can't get anybody to believe her, that her husband is capable of doing this because he might be a respected businessman, he might be a professional person, reputation in the community, things like that. She said, tell her to find somebody in her circle of friends who is a veteran of war who has seen combat and knows what can happen to a nice Christian suburban boy who is brought into the military and taught how to snap somebody's neck and sent into a war zone. And they will believe 
what people are capable of doing given the right set of circumstances. So that's the person you want to tell when you need protection from somebody that nobody believes is a threat. So we just don't understand how bad it really is. And I think we spoke earlier at the beginning of the session about um, there not being necessarily a sense of urgency in churches uh, for dealing with pro-life issues. Um, it is something we live with, sort of like in Scripture, when we hear people complain of, that the Bible endorses Scripture, which we know it, or slavery, which we know it does not. Um, but it does, in a way, accept slavery as a social situation that needs to be solved, but then again, it's something you live with at the same time. Uh, I think that's how we have come to see uh, many of the pro-life issues, especially abortion. Um, it exists, what can we do? Um, and I might suggest that it exists because we largely allow it to exist, at least on the scale that we have. Um, life teams, again, it's the interested people in your congregation getting permission to speak, permission to do, permission to churn these issues before your congregation in a low-key way throughout the year, make the bulletin boards, offer a quarterly Bible study class, um, have an event, bring a speaker in, have a luncheon, let the youth serve the food at the luncheon so they get fed too, and they can hear uh, the things that they don't want to sit still and listen to either. Um, special worship services, concerts, just things to keep the conversation going. Give them a minute for mission uh, once a month to talk about, uh, you know, this is what we did for the, pro for the pregnancy center and this is the testimony of somebody. Um, those are the things that give people a comfort level to talk about the difficult stuff. I'm going to pause here. I have a friend here whose name is Dr. Carol Faust. She is the founder and executive director of Churches for Life, which is based here in St. Louis. Lucky you. And can you get up with that help? Okay. Um, and I've ceded some of my time to her because she is who we recommend uh, that you use her materials to get your life team started. CareNet, which is the other icon there, uh, again, is uh, another resource. They're mostly apologetics, would you say, uh, as far as educating people? Oh, CareNet helps you start pregnancy centers and does the pregnancy Yeah, but they have an training. apologetics yeah. track yes. for people to yeah. converse about these issues. So that's a good pairing with PPL to get something moving in your congregation. And I will give you... Thank you. So like she said, I'm Carol Faust, and I am the executive director of Churches for Life. Um, it started uh, 13 years ago uh, here in a PCA church in uh, St. Louis. Uh, the founder um, was a PCA pastor. He wrote our training materials. They've been revised over the years, but what we do is we train a leadership team in your church to assist the pastor and the church leadership. Um, we know pastors are busy, you know, a lot of things on everybody's plate, uh, and uh, issues in the life arena take special attention. And so a life team is a group of maybe five to seven people in your church that serve as a leadership team. We train them to look at life issues through the lens of the gospel. Uh, a lot of pastors have had really bad experiences with the angry, political, demanding pro-life committee in their church 
who wants the pastor to talk about abortion every single Sunday, and then even when he does, it's not enough. And so we have set all of that aside, and we train a life team to help equip the church to understand life issues from the lens of the gospel and biblical world, a biblical worldview. Um, and we teach them how to be a team, how to not dump the truck on their congregation, but to incrementally, and I know that's a really bad word because that just got voted out in another denomination, but we just like creep you know, just little by little by little equipping the congregation to have these uh, conversations about life issues, understanding, and then uh, people can put that into action. Um, the question I would ask is, whose voice is louder? Is the voice of scripture and biblical teaching in your church louder? Or is the culture that is creeping rapidly into the church, is their voice louder? And um, Deborah mentioned the Pew Research study that, you know, they broke it out by denomination. Should abortion be legal? And the people that answered all, in all or most circumstances, they broke out by denomination. Even in your most conservative denominations, at least a fourth of the people in the church think it's okay. Um, and I ask people when they look at the study, do you think it's true? And their answer almost every time is the same. Yeah, I see what people say on Facebook. So people are having the conversation about life issues, but not in the church where the biblical teaching can inform their discussions. So we help start that life team. We walk with the team. We coach the team. Um, you can, uh, there's life team basics. We have uh, a manual called life team roadmap, how to get one started. We have frequently asked questions and the answers in here. Um, they are available as a free ebook download on our website, getintolife.org. So if you're interested, go to our website, contact us. We're happy to walk with you. And I yield my time back to the... Thank you, Carol. Um, this has been a good partnership. She has on this back table where I have uh, copies of our newsletters, uh, she has samples of the curriculum that she was talking about. And um, you can take those with you as a reminder. I also have copies of the slides uh, from this program as well so that you can remember after all of this is passed. Um, again, these are some of the things I said I would touch on some mission. This Biking for Babies, it's a national organization. And a lot of young people really like, well, a lot of people, not just young people, like to bike. And um, this is one of those, you know, you pay for however many, raise money, however many miles, you know, somebody bikes. They organize all year long. They need people to hand out water. They do this all over the country, though, uh, kind of like a segment hike on the Appalachian Trail. So there's Biking for Babies events happening all over the country uh, on the same weekend. And they look for volunteers. They look for people to ride. Um, it's, a, it's a nice little group of a fun thing to do. Uh, viable, again, I have cards on the back uh, table. This is a one-act play. It's about 
45 minutes to an hour long. It was written by a Presbyterian uh, in North Carolina, in a church in Greenville, I, be, I believe, maybe South Carolina. I get them mixed up. They both have Greenvilles. Um, but uh, it's Dr. Robert John Hoover uh, is the author of this. And it has, it's a very interesting program, very uplifting, uh, very deep for 45 minutes, but it's great for a dinner theater or an event during a Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It has a traveling cast. It's not something that you have to put together yourself. Something you have to pay for, good to have an underwriter. I think it's a couple thousand dollars to get them to come because it's a cast of five, I think. Um, but they have been the opening event at the National Right to Life Conference uh, for the last three years, I think. Uh, at least every time they've had it in person, uh, they've had the viable play put on. Um, I don't remember if I've mentioned in this spiel that it's an all-black cast. Uh, so it's also got that perspective. Um, and it's frequently used for dinner theaters and things. Uh, it ends on an uplifting note. Its basic premise is there is a woman who is 60-ish. She had an abortion when she was in college. Uh, it was with a fellow that she did not marry. Uh, she's been married to the same man for 40 some odd years. She's never said anything to him. And now their adult daughter is contemplating abortion and she needs to tell her, but she also needs to deal with her own uh, situation, her own emotions, her own marriage before she can help her daughter. And it all comes down at once. Um, but it is a thing where God prevails in the end and uh, it ends on an upbeat note. Uh, so it's not a depressing thing to do and very unusual. Uh, one church in California did a memorial garden. There is a national uh, memorial for the unborn. I cannot recall offhand. I want to say it's in Mississippi or Alabama, but I'm not sure. And it will be Tennessee as sure as I say that. But anyway, uh, you can Google it. Um, and they have these memorial gardens throughout the country that churches sponsor some some places build community gardens, right? You plant asparagus. These people have put up a wall. You can put the name of a child in the wall. It can be for people who have experienced miscarriage or had a pediatric uh, death in their family, um, for people who want to memorialize their unborn child, um, a place to go and pastors volunteer to do little memorial services, little short services for people, a place for them to go and meditate. Um, the Light and Life Ministry of First Presbyterian Church, Greenville, South Carolina, they are very active. Um, they have uh, speakers come in every year for a whole week of events on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. They'll have somebody like Scott Klusendorf come, and I think their videos are on our website when he came to speak. They do the luncheon. They cooperate with um, nightlife embryo adoption. Uh, they do little exhibits with them throughout the year. They do testimony in front of the church. So again, this is the kind of life team that sort of keeps things churning throughout the year, giving people permission, equipping them little by little. And this is the church in San Antonio. Uh, the Any Woman Can is the name of the clinic um, of the church that put the uh, low-cost and free women's clinic for homeless and low-income women in their basement. Um, the first picture there is their... Uh, reception is their interview room. The second room is their exam room. The third picture is their uh, reception area. And then the top right hand corner is their ribbon cutting. Um, and they have the collaborative group that ended up putting this together in the first place has expanded and I think into two more clinics uh, elsewhere in town. So that is the extent of the 
fire hose that I have doused you with for the last 40 minutes. Thank you. You guys were great. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.